Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Good morning, everyone. I'm Philip Dorr. My wife, Martha, and I have been here for uh, two years, and uh, I'm currently serving in the back with the AV team. Um, our portion from Scripture today comes from Psalms 3, 1 through 8. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I awake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord, save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Father, lead us to remember who you are and your goodness, your grace, your strength, your majesty. Lord of Lord, King of Kings. Lead us in this time of worship. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, you may have a seat. Thank you, Philip. Well, all right, we'll be in Psalm chapter 3, as you saw. We're continuing this series, Summer in the Psalms. And so we kicked off last week. It's only week two, so if you weren't here last week, no problem. Welcome this week. If you won't be here next week, but the following week, that's fine too, because they don't build upon each other. They're individual psalms that we're walking through, but you'll see there's a cohesiveness through them all, as is God's Word. And so somewhere in the Psalms, if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. I'm convinced if we get this right, it is a game changer. What we're going to talk about this morning, if we get this right, it will change when you go to lunch this, this afternoon. It will change Monday. It will change your week if we get this right. Again, I will not be afraid. And before we get to Psalm 3, I'm just give you a little background about David specifically. King David. You remember King David, king of Israel? The man after God's own heart, beat the giant, Goliath, miraculous miracle. Remember this? Also fell in a crazy way in adultery. Remember that? Bathsheba. Same guy. King David, king of Israel. He had a son named Absalom. And Absalom, after a period of a few years, subtly, skillfully, and strategically won the hearts of Israel and then led a revolt against his father. And so when David heard this, he and a remnant of warriors fled Jerusalem. And then Absalom then mobilized the Israelite army, to then go after David, to completely wipe him and his army out. So here David being betrayed by the ones he loves, including his own son and his own people that he was leading, and impossibly outnumbered by this advancing, attacking, getting ready to attack Israelite army. It was at this point, when all hope seemed to be lost, that he writes Psalm 3. So with that in mind, verse 1, he says, Lord, how my foes increase. 
There are many who attack me. Many who say about me, there is no help for him in God. And it begs us to ask the question, is there no help from God, either for him or for us? And this is what we're going to go through this morning. But you see that little word that many of your Bibles have? Selah. You know, people really don't know what that means. That's interesting. A lot of people have a good idea, and, and a lot more people agree maybe it seems like a pause, which I think it does. There's also a, 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 an emphasis where it's, it could mean a, to weigh or measure something's value. But then you see it, just the praise that usually follows this word, selah. It's used 71 times in the book of Psalms and three times in the Habakkuk. And so as I see this, I think what a great way to pause and to ponder and then to praise. As we're going to do this morning, we see this term, this word, three different times in these eight verses, Selah. Every time we're going to take a minute to pause, ponder, and then praise. I just wonder if we had more of that in our schedules, what that might look like. If we scheduled more Selah sessions in our daily life. And so here David that is saying that they're saying there's no help from God. And, and David quickly will see, sees through the lies by remembering the truth of God's word. And here's the point. As he's praying this, he doesn't know if God will rescue him, but he knows that God can rescue him. He knows that two ways. One, historically. He knows just by God, the account of God's movement throughout generations, he knows that God can. I mean, he remembers Jacob. Jacob, the one that got betrayed by his brothers and threw into a pit. And they got sold into slavery, ultimately to Potiphar's house. And then got, went to prison. And ultimately, God sovereignly orchestrated all that to save Jacob and led him to the palace where he was in charge of many, many people throughout the land of Egypt. And God would use Jacob not only saving him, but saving multitudes from a famine. So he knew that God can. He remembers that God saved Moses as a baby when mass murder was happening to try and annihilate this growing population of Israelites in Egypt. And God sovereignly orchestrates saving this baby named Moses who would rise up to save his people. He remembers the account of the Israelites when... In Egypt, they were being severely persecuted, severely mistreated in slavery. And they were crying out to God for help, to help. And the whole time, they didn't know what God was doing, but he was, God was raising up Moses, who then God would lead Moses to then lead, through God's power, the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity by way of plagues to show God's power. And that same Israelite army would come, or the Israelite nation would come to, they were fleeing Egypt after the Passover, and then the army from Egypt, because Pharaoh changed his mind and went after the Israelites. And they were on the run now, and they found themselves in between the Red Sea and the advancing Egyptian army. And what did God do? He saves his people miraculously. Opens the sea, walks across on dry ground. The chariots follow after him to annihilate him. Closes the sea, wipes out the whole army. So God, here, David knows just historically that God can and often does save in miraculous movements so only he gets the glory for his strength. So he knows that he can. 
historically. But it's important. David also knows he can save. God does save. He can save experientially. He's experienced this. David himself. The same God who David saw save him from lions and bears. The same God who David saw save him from the giant from Gath named Goliath. The same God who David saw save him from King Saul and King Saul's army. So God, or David knew that God could save him. But he didn't know if God would save him, but he trusted him regardless. And this is where we need to stand. As we see this, he knew that he could, didn't know if he would, but it didn't matter because his faith was in the Lord regardless of the outcome. And so, here's this accusation. There's no help from him on God. I'm wondering, is that true? That's the question we got. Is that true? Is there no help from God? Again, David sees through the lies of the enemy because, one, he knows the truth through God's word, and two, he knows God. It becomes really easy to start seeing the lies when you know the truth. We start seeing the lies when you know God. So when the enemy says, God can't help you, I wonder how many has been there. God can't do help you from that. God can't be in this situation. God doesn't hear you. Look at David's response in verse 3. He says, but, they may say this, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. Then you see the word Selah again. And notice what David knows. That the Lord isn't some distant, detached, or even deaf deity. The Lord isn't far away, and He's not frail or feeble. The Lord is personally present. He is powerful and is a provider and protector for His people. This is who God is, and He knows this. David knows this. He knows this this is who God is collectively of all people, and this is who God is personally to individual people. This is who God is. And so in the midst of the battle, David recognizes the necessity to run to his rescuer in prayer rather than spending or standing on his own strengths and skill set. And this is important. So I don't know how much you know about David, but David was like, like the dude. Like, fellas, you guys, he was the man. Like, I like watching some Navy SEAL things. I'm just mesmerized by these guys that just... A whole nother level of just manliness, if I'm honest. Like, that's the dude, right? And this was David. David was a warrior from his childhood. He was a fighter, man. Like, this kid is the one that took down Goliath. He was like, always, oh, where's the next fight? He was a warrior. And not only was he a warrior, he got really good at being a warrior. And he was a leader. So he got really good at leading and training more warriors. And these armies that he would raise up were the warriors of warriors. And so David was the dude. And so now this army's advancing now. I mean, he could easily be like, well, I've done this before. I'll mobilize this army, build them up, train them, and we'll take care of these guys. Because of who I am, what I've been through, I've done this. That's not what David does. And we see that in David's life continually runs to the Lord. And that's a note for all of us, because I know for me, I can really go into my own strengths and my skill sets and my first thing to, to respond to any situation. What can I do? Where can I go? 
versus running to the Lord. I'm reminded I like war movies and you know, most war movies, you know, they'll be, they'll be firing their guns and all of a sudden they're out of the ammo, so they'll jump in the foxhole to reload their, their ammo and then the fight's back on, right? And at one level, it seems to be what David does here. And I think there's lots to learn of in the midst of the battle to reload, to refocus, to get re-energized, to be equipped for the fight. In that sila type moment, spending time with the Lord, refocusing. And David here was equipping himself for the battle in what we end up seeing now we know as an Ephesians 6 kind of equipping. If you're not familiar with Ephesians 6, that's okay. It talks about the armor of God. There's a battle raging and there's a war all around us. And so what do we do? Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and His vast might. And this says this, put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, even though you may think of it, it's not. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. And so here David is getting recalibrated, re-equipped to put on the armor of God. And what we've already seen is, one, he's cutting through the lies with the truth. Which Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist. The belt is what holds all things up. It also holds the weapons that you have. Truth. But then you notice that David says here, But you, Lord, are a shield around me. Again, the armor of God, six, Ephesians 6, 16 says, in every situation, that's important. That's a lot of stuff. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So here David says, you, Lord, are my shield. And so who is David pointing to? Remind himself of, it's God and who he is, it's his faith, the shield of faith of, I can't, but you can. And you see Selah, the pause, ponder, and praise. I wonder how many of us today need to pause and ponder and remind ourselves of who God is. Not was, is. I'm convinced that this is why our days are not filled with more praise. Because we don't pause and then ponder. And then from that, praise God for who He is. You see, too many of us are too worried to worship. Too many of us are too anxious to abide. Too many of us are too stressed to be blessed. Right? Too many of us are far more fearful than faithful. And too many of us are too nervous to be still and know He is God. And so we replace stillness with busyness. 
I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. Because doing these things seem productive, but the most productive, fruitful thing you can do is be still and know that He is the Lord. Some translation says, stop fighting and know that He is the Lord. That's what David's doing. Being still and knowing that God is still God. Which leads to verse 5. I lay down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who take in their stand against me on every side. Notice that he rests physically, lays down his defenses because God is the one who sustains him. Now, hear me when I say this. I'm, I'm convinced that doubt is not the opposite of faith. I actually think that fear is the opposite of faith. And maybe more directly and correctly, fear is opposed to faith. Zach Williams says, fear is a liar. I agree with that. 1 Timothy 2.7 says, For God has not given a spirit of fear, but one of power. So two things. Fear is a spirit. God didn't give it, but he does give a spirit, and that's one of power. We have to remind ourselves of this. We have a spirit of power because of our faith in Jesus, that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of us. But yet we are too tempted to rely on our own strengths, our own skills, our own strategies, relying on the Lord who strengthens us. As fear makes, makes you feeble, your faith makes you powerful. As fear is paralyzing, faith is advancing. This makes sense because Jesus himself talks about the devil and he says the devil's a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. And so when you whisper, listen to the whispers of the lies, it's coming straight from hell itself. So how do you combat that? It's with the truth of God's word and the truth of who he is unchanging. And so David reminds himself who God is and his promises says, I will not be afraid. Why? Because the Lord sustains me. That's a proclamation. That's a stand I will not. And we have to make that stand when the lies and the fear is creeping. I will not. I will not be afraid because who God is. I may not understand what's going on, what's happening. I may not like it, because usually I don't, but I won't be afraid. Because I'm not God, thank God. But He is. David says, I will not be afraid. And this is the same thing that God commands all of His followers. All throughout Scripture is what David's saying. I will not be afraid. Why? Because of who God is. Isaiah 41, verse 10. God says, do not fear, because I... I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Joshua 1.9 says, Haven't I command you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified of them, for the Lord your God is the one who will go with you, for he will not leave you or abandon you. 
Psalm 23, verse 4, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. Psalm 56, 3 and 4, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. And finally, circling back to 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Did you write that all down? Man, we got to cling to these because it's who God is and who we are. We can go through anything and everything because of who God is. We don't have to be afraid, and dare I say, don't. But you have to stand on this. I will not be afraid because of who God is. You know when fear creeps into my life? When I start looking at me. That's when I start getting scared. When I start looking at my circumstances, that's when I start getting scared. I think about my kids. and We got a lot of kids in different ages, and it's been really interesting over the years, and I like doing it now. When they're really little, I mean small, before they really know dangers and things, and they'll just walk off a cliff if you let them, I'll put them on my bed, and I'll put them, sit on my knees on the floor, and I'll say, jump to me. Jump. And man, without hesitation, they'll just fall off, not even think about it. They just know, Dad will catch me. They grow a little bit older, and you can see the wheel start turning a little more. Okay, I'm still going to do it, but now I know, like, I trust you, Dad, but like 80%. I can see it, Right? And so now it's a little bit more measured, and they'll still do it. But then it becomes a time to where it takes some serious talking into, right? Buddy, I'm going to catch you, man. You're you're like 20 pounds. I got you. Because they're looking at everything else and forgot who dad is. Not intentionally. but They start measuring everything else and forgot dad's been faithful. Haven't dropped him once. Isn't that what we do? We start looking at the things swirling all around us and we forget who God is and dare I say what God's done in our life. Because of who God is, David says, I will not be afraid. Leads us to verse 7. He cries out to God, rise up, Lord, save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people, Selah. Again, David doesn't know if God would save him, but he knows God could save him. Because he knows that he has, he did, and he still does save. It's amazing watching David's life throughout Scripture. Again, that this battle that you had Goliath, this giant opposing guy, calling out all of Israel and really insulting God is what he's doing. And finally, his boy David got sick of it because no one would go out and fight because they're all afraid. Where was their faith in themselves? And they saw their own weakness and they saw this giant, literally, that no one could beat. And so no one would step up on behalf of the Israelite army, really on behalf of God, is how David saw it, and do something about it. And so finally David's sick of it, goes to King Saul. He says, Saul's trying to talk him out of it. He's like, no, you're a boy, you can't go out there. He says, listen, 
The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the power of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And so I think Saul at this point just being hopeless and like, ah, I guess. It was like the Hail Mary of war fighting. Sends out this little kid. Came and dressed with the armor. The armor's too big on him. So he goes out there to fight this Philistine. And here's this big Philistine, this giant from Gath named Goliath, comes out, has a dude carrying his shield for him as he walks out. And Goliath looks at David just trash-talking, insulted, if you will. And this is what David says to Goliath. He says, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies the God of the ranks of Israel. You defiled him. Defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. And he starts trash talking. Today I will strike you down. Remove your head and give the corpses of the Philist to the Philistines' camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then he says this, Then all the world will know that there is a God, that Israel has a God. Who's his faith in? His faith always has been in God. He's seen God, has saw God deliver him over and over again. He just knew God would deliver him now. You know the story. You know the account. God does. David saw God, saw God give victories over and over again throughout his life. Why? I'll give you two reasons, I'm convinced. One, he chose to continually step out in faith. You want to see God do some stuff? God do to plant a church. You want to see God do some amazing things? I wish everyone could just go overseas for a while and just live radically in obedience and faith-filled independence on God. You want to see God do some amazing things? We don't see God do amazing things because we're not stepping out of faith. We like our little comfort zone. We like our little box we like to live in. If anything is slightly out of it, we get all messed up. You want to see God move? Start stepping out in faith and trust. That's what trust is. That's what following Jesus is. Do you trust him or not? Because if you do, he's going to call you to do some crazy things. But that's where you grow because you grow because you see God move. Because God still moves. He still works. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God. So David saw victories because he continued to step out in faith. And two, as he was going, he was looking for God's working. I think about that. What if you start going throughout the day just looking for God moving? And start remembering it. And then start sharing it with your family, with your friends, like God moves. Now, yesterday, we were able to put a new play set together in one day. That's a movement of God. Has anybody ever done that? That's a sanctifying process. On a more serious note, yesterday, my daughter was sharing how there was a close call that could have ended up being a lot more tragic with cars, right? People not paying attention, doing the wrong things. Like, praise God. That's a God moment. We're like, oh, well, that was lucky, right? Oh, that was lucky timing. You know luck isn't a thing. Can I say that in here? Luck isn't a thing. Walk under ladders. It may not be wise, but it's not unlucky. 
right? Like it's, luck is not a thing. Either God is sovereign or he's not. Like we do all these things that are really fear-based, right? Like think about how you luck and all these different things you do because you want to be lucky. That's not from God. Either God is sovereign or he's not. He's over all things or he's not. And as soon as we start getting this, we start seeing where faith begins to drive out fear because of who God is. And it's interesting, every time, and even during this time when David was on the run, David's focus wasn't primarily on the fight coming or the fear looming, but rather on the God, Lord, who is actively reigning. That's why he keeps saying Lord. Lord means Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And David, once, once again, in this account, see God move in a miraculous and mighty way, being victorious against Absalom's advancing Israelite army. So let me ask you this. As you see these accounts, as you evaluate your own faith, do you ever feel like your faith isn't where you'd like it? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. Most of us. Praise God. Everyone else, please share. That's amazing. There's a killing it in the faith walk. Here's the good news. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's good news. Because there's times I feel pretty faithless. But even those times, God is unchanging. He remains faithful. And David in verse 8 says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. It did then. It still does today. We need to pause and ponder what that means to us. And as we ponder, it will result in praise because who God is. Jesus says in John 6, 16, verse 33, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. Does that sound familiar? Be courageous. I have conquered the world. You will have suffering, but take courage. Why? Not because you're in control, because you're not. Not because it's going to work out just like you planned, probably because probably it won't. But Jesus has conquered the world, meaning he is still sovereign, he's still reigning, he's still king, which leads us into Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to his purpose. And those all things, you know what falls into all things? Everything, yeah. All the junk, all the goodness, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And with that, he launches in, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, launches into who God is and who we are in Christ. I was going to read it for you, but I want you to meditate on these words. As I read them, the truthfulness, how it washes over each of our lives as we walk in faith and not in fear because of who God is, who is for us, who is not against us. Romans 8, 31 and following says this. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. 
Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. He asks this, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword, danger? He says, as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. So he says, what can separate us? Can any of these things separate us? He tries to go down a list. Can any of this stuff separate us? Can anything separate us? And he says this in verse 37, no. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. I want you to hear that because there's some things coming that you don't even know. Instead of being fearful about it, you know the one who's faithful. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. So this truth, if we can take this truth and fight the battles with it, meaning, remember when where fear creeps in, faith is displaced. Change it around. See that as a check engine light where stress starts going up. Anxiety, anxiety starts going, going up. Worry. All these things that our culture creates around us, our life creates because we're in a fallen world. Let that be a check engine light to then run back to who God is. God is the one who fights for us. God's the one that goes before us. He's with us. He'll never forsake us and let our fear be replaced by faith. And stand like David stands. Because of who God is, we will not be afraid. I don't care what you're going through. I know some of us are going through some pretty heavy things. Because of who God is, we will not be afraid. Now, I want you to personalize that. Because of who God is, I will not be afraid. Will not. That's a determination. When you start following Jesus, you don't have to fear anything anymore. Apostle, the apostle Paul was impossible to deal with, right? Do you remember this? Like, no matter what they would do to him, you want to throw me in jail? Great. I'll share the gospel with those in jail. You want to kill me? Great. To be absent with the body, to be present with the Lord. What do we do with Paul? Exactly. He was faith-filled, not fearful. So I wonder about us. I'm going to invite the band back up and we're going to continue to, to sing. We're going to sing one more song. Praise God. Worship Him. But as we do, I want us to pause and ponder who God is. And because this is true, how does that impact your Tuesday? Your Tuesday. Why? Because Mondays we know stink. That's its own thing, right? Mondays are just Mondays. Wednesdays are hump day. You can start seeing the weekend. Thursdays are almost there. Fridays, we're there, basically. Tuesdays are the meaningless days. That's like yours in the grind, Tuesdays. 
How does this impact your Tuesday? This is what we need to hear. God created everyone to be with him, just as you are. Failures, faults, but we do have failures and faults are called sin. But Jesus, paying the price for your sin and my sin, died the death that we deserved. Raised on the third day, conquering death and sin, so that everyone who would come to him as Lord would be forgiven, would be cleansed of all sin and unrighteousness, and have new life. The Bible says it's a new creation. I wonder if you haven't done that yet. Your faith-filled life starts first with Jesus. Realizing how much God loves you, respond to his love by faith. And you can do that during this time. So I'm just going to leave just a, a time of quiet response. And so I'm going to invite us to pray right now. And we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing and keep worshiping. So let's just pause and ponder in the quietness of our own hearts. Ponder how great God is. Ponder how He remains the firm foundation when everything around us is shaking. Ponder the truth that He is faithful even when we are faithless. ponder the amazing reality that anyone who comes to Jesus confesses sin that he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and sin and forgive us of all sin and that through Jesus we are a new creation children of God, sons and daughters of God who is actively ruling and reigning right now I want us to ponder how this reality, being filled with the Holy Spirit, now produces a life of boldness because of what Jesus has accomplished. Whom shall we fear? Father, lead us in worship, lead us in this day. Let our life just be a pleasing aroma as it's spent for your glory and your purposes. Help us to trust in you more. And those areas of, of faithlessness drive out and remind us that you're faithful. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.